Hey y'all, welcome to Colored Couch Conversations, a podcast where I have intimate conversations with women of color on my couch. Today, my guest and I will discuss comedy, black men, and COVID. I am your host, Jasmine W., and my guest today was born in Atlanta, raised in LA, and she has made a career out of turning her losses into laughs. Whether on stage or online, she leaves no stone unturned, and that is the truth. Give it up for my guest, Mina Quarterman. Hey, Mina. I wanted the audience. Hey. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll insert some claps and some screams in there for you. <laughs> I was just doing it for myself, you know, to be like, oh, you guys sit down. Sit down, everybody, please. We got to start this. Well, Mina does have an audience. If you want to check out her video, she's so hilarious. Um, you can follow her on Instagram at I am Mina Q, uh, of course, because it's Mina Quarterman. Sometimes I call her Mina Q anyways. Mina also does lots of videos with one of my past guests, but I'm not even going to tell you who. Just go to her Instagram and follow her so you can see which one it is, okay? How are you doing, Mina? I haven't seen you in so long. I haven't talked to you in a really long time. How are things? Things are good. Things are good. Um, I don't know. You know, I've been like serially single for so long. So I've been attempting like dating. I'm not a fan of it. I didn't know, I didn't know, like I've been in bad relationships and sometimes I'm like, I should have stayed. This is terrible. I don't know what's going on. You know what? I'm done with you. Not you should have stayed in a bad relationship. (laughs) I don't know. No, you shouldn't stay in a bad relationship. But it's like the, I think because I never really dated, like I was never, I was always that person who I met you and I was like, oh, you're cool. And then you know how women dating goes. It's like, and then we're together. So it was always so quick. So I never followed like the, hey, how are you? Let's text. Do you want to go out? Now we text. Now do we go out? You know, like all of that. That's so, and not even like the online dating, everything. So I feel like a, like a kid, like I'm trying to figure everything out and it's very stressful and um, people are terrible. People are terrible. Well, relax and have fun. We're going to talk about dating a little bit more. I don't, <laughs> we're going to talk about dating a little bit more because I have questions about that. But first, okay, we always start off with the quote of the day. And you know this quote because you chose it. It's, you can have it all, just not all at once from Oprah. Um, this might be our first Oprah quote, which I'm really excited about. But why did, why did you choose this quote? What does it mean to you? I feel like, like when you start any task or there's things that you want to do, like a lot of times you, you like you get I don't know kind of you feel like you're not gonna get there you know like you might get a little something you're like oh but I still want this and like we're human so we're always gonna want more than what we have but we have to realize like it's not impossible to reach your goals and your goals should be on like a spectrum it should be like a continuum of you hitting this and finding something new because something that we don't really realize is like there is suffering in all parts of everything. Like there's suffering in getting what you want. There's suffering in not getting what you want. There's suffering in the journey. There's suffering in getting to the next plateau and realizing like, I don't know what I want next. So that entire process is, is, is difficult, but you will look back and realize you've had all of the things that you wanted, but imagine if you did get them all at once. That's a lot for your senses to take in. That's a lot for you to just receive and then, and understand how to process. So I feel like we kind of just have to learn how to be appreciative of what we have and use that as the fuel to keep us moving forward and know that we'll get all of those things, but they don't have to sit in the same space. You know, they can just kind of spread and grow and meet and leave and come back and ebb and flow That's how life is. So I always love that quote because I felt like it embodies the things that some of us forget 
when we're like in pursuit of anything. That's such a good, um, especially today, that's a really good lesson for me actually, because I already saw the quote, you know, but today I was just feeling like, oh, I'm not exactly where I want to be, but it, you have to just remind yourself to just relax. I wanted to ask you like, what are what are a couple of things that you want? Oh man, I, I want so many different things because I'm one of those people who, I like to try a lot of different things, but I know like where my heart lies with things. So I'd like to see my stand-up move to a place where I can do my own shows, produce my own uh, stand-up shows and, and have my friends be a part of it and, and, and tour that and make money off that. And I want to be able to, you know, when I'm not doing my stand-up tours, I want to act and I don't want to just do comedy. I want to show people that like, I care about acting. I care about the characters that I do, that I can do more than just be funny that um, I can take on roles that kind of scare me, that I can do things that I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. Like, I want to do things that make people feel uncomfortable. I want to feel uncomfortable. I want to watch, I want people to see me feeling uncomfortable and what I do with it, you know? Um, I think that Felicia Rashad had said once, like, the, it, I'm paraphrasing, but something about how, like, the coolest thing about acting is that you get to see and be empathetic about other people's lives by just taking a moment to kind of live in it. And that's something that I really enjoy. I enjoy the experience of getting to just kind of dive in somewhere where maybe you're very unaware, but you get so much more from it. And when you do, you can give so much more in your own personal life. So I really just want to like take everything that I've been and I want to be able to like blast that back out into people, you know, to where they receive it and they can use it in that stand up, that's acting. Um, eventually, this is a random one, but my, my little brother has always wanted to start a restaurant. So I would love to be able to like help him with that. And like, yeah. you know, his dreams come true. And when my sister figures out exactly what it is she wants to do, like I want to help her with her dreams as well. So, you know, I just want to be able to like do what I love and make sure the people around me can do what they love too. Yeah, that is so cool. I love that. I love that. And not only like, you know, because a lot of times when you ask people what they want to do, they think about themselves. But I love that you're thinking about other people and like being a part of their journey, too, and the things that they want to do, which is really cool. Okay, well, listen, we always um, ask random questions on the podcast. It just helps me and y'all listening get to know our guests a little bit more. So get to get to know Mina. Um, you already mentioned, Mina, that, of course, you're a comedian, you're an actress. Um, but where is, like, the top? Like, where do you want comedy to take you? You know what I mean? I, I, I love asking comedians this question because, like, before I had this analogy, like, I, I, people are like, do you want to be famous? And sure, I'd love to be in Disney Disneyland, and let's say that there are 200,000 people there. I'd love for, like... 15% of those people to know who I am and really love what I do, but I don't need everybody in Disneyland to know me and like follow me around. So where do you want comedy to take you? How famous do you want to be? Man, that's crazy. Uh, I guess it depends on what you consider fame to be. You know what I mean? So like, obviously I want to have enough financially to where I'm comfortable. That's that thing that goes without saying that has to be a part of fame, but I want to just be in control of what I do. You know, I don't want to have like the fear of like, well, if I don't take this job, I'll never work again. I want to, I want to take, I want comedy to take me to where I've exposed myself to enough people to where they trust in my abilities and I can choose the roles that I'm doing. I can choose what's going on. I can control the narrative that I put out for the people like of color, for women, for mm -hmm. uh, people with experiences that I've been a part of. 
So I just want to be able to like get to that place where I'm like almost, you know how Kevin Hart is very much a mogul, you know, like people can say what they want about his stand-up or they can say what they want about, you know, his acting. But either way, you can't deny the hustle. You can't deny the grind. You can't deny the effort that he puts into it and the passion, the people that he helps put on. Like, that's the thing that you want to be. You want to be like, I want to be a moving force to where the things that I touch and the things that people around me touch, we just like, it's like we can't be stopped. Like, it's you become this, I don't know, fireball of something that's just, it's great. So I think that's what it is. I just want to be able to give as much as I possibly can and yeah. also still keep the integrity of making sure when people look back, they're like, dang, okay. You know, like the way we look at people like Rihanna or we look at people like Oprah and we're like, they just carved out this entire thing that was not there, you know, yeah. to pay that for myself and for people who come after me. That's what would be like the ultimate same goal that's huge though so you named kevin hart rihanna and oprah that means you want to be like mega famous <laughs> i want to be one of them whatever they would look like as a but you know it's just it's the output you know like that what they embody um i feel like it's something very different and and in different eras almost you know it's been oprah was one thing, and I think when Oprah did everything that she did, she wasn't even aware of what she was building. But it's just so magical to see someone be like, I had no idea to having so much influence. And then what you choose to do with it is is yours, of course. But I think that's amazing. That's a, that, that's famous. Like, whether she had the money or not, that would be amazing. And then obviously they all have money, but, you know. Yeah. Like, sometimes I think about being famous and I'm like, uh, the pressure is just too high. Like, you're going to believe everything that I say. Like, I can just say something and people are going to believe it. What if I'm wrong? Do you ever think about, like, how much pressure that is? You know, yeah, actually, I think I, I do. I think about it a lot because of, um, because of stand-up specifically. And one thing I, I enjoyed and I learned about stand-up is when you're doing it effectively, and you can call effective whatever your version of <laughs> effective standup is. But to me, when you're doing it effectively, it is very much a shared experience. It's like, yeah. like a mind control thing. It's a little daunting to have that kind of control. But at the same time, you can't worry about everybody. They're going to figure it out. If they don't, <laughs> I never said I was Jesus. These are opinions. And I think yeah. you can forget that. Well, my last question about comedy is, um, which, it, it, which comedian influenced you the most? I'm, also, I'm really bad with like picking things. Can I give you the top three, I guess? Okay, yeah. I might give you three and a half. Okay, so I would say one of, okay, for sure, the first time I was ever motivated to do stand-up was when I saw Jamie Foxx's I Might Need Security. And yes. that like, as a creative has just made me want so much more than what, I mean, he does more things than I can even do, but that was like, I'm, I'm in, I love it, you know? Um, and then I would say Dave Chappelle after that, just because of his, his style, you know, his ability to, to be so on point to what he's saying, but creative in it and expand this world that we're not really in. I thought that that was amazing. His storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, and in a way, Cat Williams has always just been such a, a big, energy on stage that it's like you can't deny the funny when it comes from a source so I don't know so so big like that so that was always just an amazing uh group of people that I was truly drawn to and I was like oh my god these people had just made magic yeah, huge huge fan so 
I was gonna give you a half, but forget the half. No, I love that lineup. That's such a good. That's such a good top three. And you know, there when, when I, my top three is just around that. Like I have a hard time picking between those people and a few others. But people will be like, "Well, what about Richard Pryor?" Well, well we're in a different generation. Okay, the, oh, it doesn't take top- away from him. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it doesn't take away from him. He's just saying like the influence for us is. Those are like Cat Williams is. Well, I'd switch out Cat Williams for me personally with maybe like Martin Lawrence, but those three are. I love Jamie Foxx so much, and he nobody ever brings him up. Oh my god, he's he's so like that special. I might need security was so just. It was so him, and it was so genuine. You know what I mean? And it was full of so many layers, and yes. just you could see, see how talented he was within that special. And I thought that was amazing too, you know, and almost very underrated. I mean, among comics, I think they would agree, but it's one of those things that if you haven't seen it, like you are severely doing a disservice to yourself because it was so, so great. It's, and it holds up. Like even today you can watch it and you would still be laughing hysterically. Just the time and how they said things were different. um, You know, some things don't really stand the test of time, but that's one of those ones. It's still so good. It's great. You know what? Whenever I was having a bad day, when I worked in corporate America, I would watch a clip from I Might Need Security. And it was the one, you know, the the clip where he's at the piano. Fuck you. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. (laughs) Jasmine and I do that all the time. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Legendary. Legendary. Now I'm getting off on a slight tangent real quick. But uh, when he did, what was it? The ESPN um whatever their sports i don't know awards thing was and he did the the things with serena williams every year and the tennis ball like the creativity and and how just it's you know unapologetic he is it's, yeah it's, it's fun to watch it's fun to experience so good if you have not seen jamie fox's i might need security you it is a must watch um okay y'all we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna talk about if mina is a stud or not okay so let's take a quick break Welcome back to Colored Couch Conversations, y'all. I'm your host, Jasmine W., and I'm here with my special guest, Mina Quarterman. Do not forget to follow her on Instagram at IamMinaQ. Before we took a break, we were asked, we were talking about a random question. So I really wanted to ask Mina this question. Um, Mina, are you a stud? If so, what makes you a stud? And if not, why not? Okay, before I answer this question, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think that I'm a stud? You know what? I asked you this question for a reason because I would be on the fence. I would say, no, you're not. <laughs> okay. That's okay. So this what's so funny is, um, like I, I said, I had kind of started this dating thing and these girls that I had gone out with because they've seen me online in some capacity thought that I was a stud. And I was so confused because I'm like, well, I do, sir. I out of like, so parody videos, and I think that, and I, I, you know, it's one of the things that I tap into a lot. But I'm like, but I'm not a stud, but I am very comfortable. I'm not, I am not a stud. 
I do not consider myself a stud. Have I been a stud in my life? Uh, not by choice, yes. But I, that was a very short period of time. It was a relationship thing. It was weird. I didn't want to do it. It was not for me. Um, but I am not a stud. And I realize the only reason I come off as a stud are a few things. It's the, the shave sides will do it. Okay. Um, the septum piercing. Every girl, every gay girl has a septum piercing, especially the studs. Um, and how I dress. I'm, I've never been like, I... I put this on today because I was like, I am sick of the stud narrative. I want to know I got, I, I have these. <laughs> look, I got, look at, look at all my curves. And you know what I mean? I'm, I mean, I put some earrings on, you know, whatever. Fine. Put my, everybody thinks that I'm a stud, but I'm not. I, I just, I like that I'm a woman. Not to say studs don't, but I like my femininity. I enjoy that. I'm just not somebody who's very, like, I don't know a lot about makeup. It's just, I just don't. I never learned a lot about it. Um, I don't particularly care to wear it unless I have to, if I'm filming or something. And I just like being comfortable. And I think because I'm comfortable and I'm not so, like, you know, girly and I'm not always like, oh, what are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> that element to me so much. And I'm just very chill that people think that I'm a stud, but I really am not. I just like to be comfortable in my clothes. And I think that reads stud to people sometimes. I hit on a girl recently at a bank. That day I had on slides, two different color socks, basketball shorts, a white tank top, and a hat. And she told me that she thought about not calling me because she thought I was a stud. I was just going to work out. That was it. I wasn't, it wasn't like that my my mood for the day i just was like i have to work out this is what i'm wearing that was all that was going on so i understand why it's perceived that way but i'm definitely not well you know what i think it was more about opening up the conversation about what makes someone a stud because you mentioned first of all if you haven't never seen mina she does not need makeup okay uh you're gonna be asking for a skincare routine number one (laughs) But it wasn't because the makeup. It wasn't because the septum piercing. Because you wear makeup to me. I've seen you in lipstick. Your brows are done right now. Like, you wear makeup. It was just, what does it mean to be a stud? Is it just about the way that you dress? Like, what does that mean? What does it really mean? I mean, I would I would say that it depends on who you ask. But okay. for me personally, when I define a stud, I see stud as a state of mind. And as you know, whatever you think you create. So the state of mind of a stud is someone that wants to present masculine energy, masculine tones, masculine, masculine representation of themselves, um, and, and offers something that is not as soft and docile as maybe your traditional woman might be. Um, and that would reflect in their clothing, that would reflect in their, maybe how shivers they were, uh, and I think a stud is just, it's the opposite of what you think you're going to get when you're like, my sister's coming over. And if okay. your sister came over and she was wearing a suit, you'd be like, whose brother is this? You know what I mean? <laughs> that would be very confusing. So I think that it really is, it is a case by case basis. But I think that, you know how like time just changes things. I think that right now within this space of generation of, of studs, like you can look back when it's not that far, but like Queen Latifah, for instance, they thought that she was, she was gay. I mean, they weren't wrong, but they thought she was gay because she did present a little masculine. But right now, there's a certain trend of what studs look like. Maybe studs are all, they have bald heads right now. Maybe all of them, um, you know, they have the, there was a time period like in the early 2000s, everybody got the little stars tattoo. 
you know, here and there. So it was a lot of little nuanced things that red stood to people. So I think it just depends, but it's, it's more of what I think it is. Mostly all of those things. You just, you just come off with this masculinity that he think about his sexuality for a second, at least, you know? What yeah. I mean? See, it's so interesting. Okay. First of all, I love the analogy about the sister, but it's interesting that you brought up Queen Latifah. I, used to be kind of mildly obsessed with her because I thought she was like a living single. She was my favorite character. She's so drop dead gorgeous. You know what I mean? So maybe I would say Queen Latifah is not a stud to me, but in Set It Off, she was. Right. But, but when, okay, so not a stud, right? Living single. I feel like they had moments where they made her more feminine, but they kept her grounded, you know? I mean, I don't think she was gonna go out off the deep end and be like, put me in heels every day and put my tits up to here, you know what I mean? Like, cause that wasn't who she was. Um, but in other things like, you know, her music videos and in her interviews, she presented very strong black women in a time where maybe not necessarily everybody was saying that. And that sometimes to people reads stud. Do you know what I mean? The A woman who was very strong and and has conviction about what she says, regardless of what she's wearing, they might be like, is she gay? You know, because they feel yeah. like sometimes it's not necessarily true, but I think that there is like almost a causal connection between those two things that people interpret. It makes me think about how this generation, how we are blending you know, sexuality, you know what I mean, between male and female quite a bit. So me asking you, do you consider yourself a stud is just a reflection of the times? Because some people might say, yeah, I'm, I'm feminine. I can be a stud and be feminine. You know, it's just so blended nowadays, which it's people expressing themselves more and feeling like they don't have to stick to the stereotype, which is cool. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, and th- oh, there's so there's so many terms that I did not yeah. know. And I mean, I know what I know, and I've been dating women for 20 years. And I never, like, I went out with this girl recently, and she's like, oh, so you're a switch. And I was like, what does that mean? And she's like, you're a switch. She's like, you switch. Like, you like to give and receive. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm just, I thought that's what people do. Like, sexually, I thought people do both. Like, you give a little, you get a little. You know, I thought that was the thing, but there's a term, I think, because we like gotten so consumed with naming everything and and breaking it down to all these like tiny pieces that it's it's a little saturated and I'm like I can't keep up yeah doing this are we regular women are we women that want to be with women and that's enough I don't know I I can't keep up don't don't come with a whole scroll of definitions before we start this because I'm gonna get lost I just thought you were cute I thought that's all it took (laughs) Now I got to look at the pronouns and I, I took me a year to figure out what cis meant, cisgender, and I feel so lost. <laughs> I can't handle it. Okay. You thought they were saying cis like S-I-S. I was like, if somebody else says cis, I, and I don't, I wasn't a huge fan of the word cis anyways, but when I was like, man, it's, what, cis man, what does that mean? I, I couldn't, uh, I'm still lost, but whatever. They can have their words. I guess staying on this track, you mentioned that dating has been interesting, like a journey for you recently. Are you dating online or what do you, how do you, how are you finding people to match with? Well, first of all, for like a year, I wasn't doing anything. I was just out here. I was out here anti-whopping. You know what I mean? Oh my Um, God. Like, or when all this quarantine stuff started, like I live with my best friend, but I I haven't had like any interaction with like women where it's like flirtation or anything. I was like, man, I, 
I would like to see, you know, and I, so I did get on a dating app for the first time, which I swore I never would, did it anyways, and immediately realized, like, I, I hate it here. And I say what I'm about to say with the utmost respect, but the thing I hate the most about dating apps is that I don't like being ugly by association. Like, I feel like I'm in the ugly people group on these dating apps because they're only showing me people that I would never match within a thousand years. I'm like, so either all the other people we have decided to get online because we can't find people in the real world. I, like, I don't like this. I'm ugly association. I'm too bad. I know I'm bad. I'm man. I'm bad. You know what I'm saying? So it was killing me being on there with these people that I was like, this is not a woman. I just, I don't even understand. So you saying you only matching with ugly people? Yeah. I'm saying everybody who is, uh, they just are having a deficiency and maybe they're pretty, <laughs> they are after, it's only them. It's only them. And to that end, none of the people who are attractive have ever been in my DMs. I'm like, so am I a part of the deficient, pretty people? Like, I, I thought I was, I didn't, I never said I was a 10, but I thought I was upwards of five. You know what I'm saying? Like at least a 6.725, at least somewhere mid-range to pretty. I just, this is weird to me. So, cause in the real world, like men, men love me. Yeah. If I were men, I probably would have the hopes. I probably wouldn't know what to do with them, but I would probably have like the potential. Women, it's like crickets. I don't, it's like, it's just like something I'm trying to do. I don't know why I'm about to cry laughing at this. <laughs> but that is so funny to me. Because uh, I, I, I think you're gorgeous, Mina. I don't know why you getting put in the ugly bucket. I, I realize, though, part of that online dating thing that doesn't work for me, you know, being a comedian and just being someone who is more outgoing, like, I do have to see you. I have to meet you. I have to feel like. I want to interact with you and that is taken away on so, um, like these dating apps and I have to come up with some fake reason to talk to you, which I don't understand. Like, oh, oh, you wear red shoes? You know, I got three pairs of red shoes. Like that's so, it's, it's, so it's like, how would you even, how do you date from there? And I know people have had success stories, but I personally, I think I need more yeah. to involved. Cause right now I'm just, I was so desperate at one point I was just picking, I was like, Anybody whose eyebrows were at least separated and, and combed, I was taken on. But yeah. then I was like, I can't help this either. So, yeah, because then you you meet them in person and you're like, why am I here? What am I doing here? What am I doing? Yeah. And then I, and you know what though? What it did for me, what those apps did for me or that app did for me was it made me realize how bad I am. I never knew. I didn't know what I had to offer for real. Like trying to write it on there doesn't do me justice. Yes. Tell, tell you like why I'm cool and why you should talk to me. My my dating profile ad like I am too good for this. Somebody who deserves me will find me immediately, and I won't have to sell myself. I will be swept up so quickly because they'll be like, "Oh, I'm not." There's no way this is leaving. You know what I'm saying? So the yeah. dating app is not going to cut it because I've already had to sell myself to you. I guess my last question for the random questions is what happened to the girl at the bank? <laughs> so the girl at the bank. Um, okay. So the, I'll just give you a bit of the story. So I saw her, I did know how I looked and I decided I was going to just put myself out there and just ask her to go out anyways. Um, so I gave her my phone number on a bank in front of 
everybody who was waiting in line to go into the bank. Uh, she worked security at that bank, so it was very weird. There was a lot. It was not the right time. I looked like a crackhead, um, for sure. And uh, I asked her, like, I talked to her for like a day, and I was like, well, do you want to meet? Because what I'm not doing is talking to these girls for 45 days in yeah. the meeting. So I was like, do you want to meet? And she was open to it. And I met her, went out to dinner, and she was cool. She was a nice girl. And that's about it. Like, that just happened. I'm talking about, like, yesterday. So, I, you know, I don't have a whole lot to report on that. But what I will say is any interaction or meetup or date I've had with anybody has been severely uncomfortable, strange, weird, and uh, made me feel like I don't even want to date. Because you just said it was fine. She was a nice girl, which is what you say when you don't like somebody. (laughs) (laughs) She was a nice girl. Right now, it's like I genuinely, because I haven't had any experience dating, like I'm just here for the getting to know what that is about. You know what I mean? So I don't have it in me to be like, I like you. You know what I mean? I'm not ready to just be like, I like this person because people aren't always what they seem to be when they want to meet you and put their best foot forward. So it's like, I had a good time talking to her and I would not say that, oh, she was like weird or strange. I can say that about a lot of people I've seen, but it wasn't that. She was probably the most normal person that I've been out with. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break. I hope y'all are crying, laughing after listening to Mina talk about her dating experience online. (laughs) And when we come back, we're going to talk about a few trending topics that include black men and COVID-19. So we'll be right back. We are back from break and you're listening to Colored Couch Conversations. I'll be telling y'all at the end, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you love the show, make sure to tell somebody about it. Okay, do not be selfish. I am talking with Mina Quarterman. Uh, Follow her on Instagram at I am Mina Q. And we're on to some trending topics. So I really wanted to talk to Mina about black men for a more than one more reasons than one but everywhere I look black women are talking about how trash black men are um this is because you know everything from Breonna Taylor everything from Megan Thee Stallion everything that's happening in our particular culture black women are starting to speak up and say you know what I don't get treated by black men the way that I should be treated whether it's black men in their family they don't feel protected by the black men that they've fallen in love with or had children with and everything right so I wanted to ask you, Mina, how do you feel about black men right now? Do you feel that most don't do a good job protecting us? Some don't or a few don't. I just really want to know, like, you know, how are you feeling about, you know, as a black woman, about black men? Well, I guess what I would say first is like a lot of things in life, there's an ebb and flow that happens. Um, and I think that maybe in our parents or even like our grandparents generation, the black man was going through a lot just as now, but I feel like his desire, need, um, instinct to protect the black woman and his child were different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that may have changed going forward into like 90s and the eight, or I'm sorry, 80s and 90s, and where there was a little bit of a shift. And then it, it, you know, there was some stability in like, oh, we're, 
you know, we're equal-ish, you know, to people and there wasn't as much need, like, oh, I have to protect these women and make sure everything, like, it wasn't it was when it was like, we were actively afraid of being lynched and we were actively afraid of certain things that even can happen today, but it was like, there was, there was no doubt of the possibility. So I think that it's, it's been a, a shift and I think that right now, we've come from a time where there wasn't that. You know, it was very little of men looking out for protecting. It was like, I mean, you can look at the music, entertainment, anything. It was not a lot of like, we are safe in this environment. We are, we're more so just affected by what's going on and we're pawns in it to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there is a shift in consciousness that is happening within some black men. And I would say that's like maybe some black men of, of the age, like upwards of maybe 24-ish and they're trying to like develop their ideas about themselves as a man, which also brings into it the women in their lives, mm -hmm. either and their mothers. And I think that's really where it starts. And I think that the protection that people might be feeling at this time and where I would say I feel it comes from my family. Like my brother, I feel like he would protect me. I mm -hmm. feel protected by my brother. He's the only man in my life, black man in my life, like to that extent. So I do feel that, but the, you know, random black guy on the street do i feel like that's the case not not immediately not necessarily mm -hmm. you know I, I i can't say that i know i'm good because he's here for a fact i don't yeah but yeah. i think that there is a shift happening but i don't think it's like come to complete fruition at this moment i think right now just as a people we're realizing we need to do better with each other on all forms that's men treating women with respect and protecting them and women actually protecting each other and taking care of each other on a level where it's not that hierarchy thing where we we have to have the alpha and the one that's the best like when i'm great you're great right i win you win like i don't know if you ever watched i may destroy you but one of the lines that i say with my best friend all the time and we adopted that into what we are is you're your birth is my birth and your death is my death and i feel that there is nothing on this earth i would not do if somebody if she was in any situation, I would be there. If she was going to be great, I'm going to make her greater. Fall, she's going to be there to pick me up and vice versa. And I feel that way about black women that I see or any black man. I want you to be your best version of yourself because how else will we all move forward? But I think that that has to change. It's, it's changing and I think we have to do better. But you think there's a, a shift towards towards a, a positive shift happening right now? Shift towards awareness. And I yeah. think that's the first step. But I don't think that it's like, like I said, I still don't feel completely protected by black men as a whole, just across the board. Would I just say yes? I can't say yes. Yeah. It, I've seen younger black men and who they are and what they're offering. I can't say that I've seen that before. A lot of what's taking place in this, you know, recent times we're experiencing everything in 2020 and just even before the last five to six years. So I think people are starting to realize like, what could I be doing? Am I not doing enough? Like, how do I help? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think it's, it's, we've at least ignited the flame. We're kind of, because, you know, there's not enough kerosene to carry right now, but we just, you know, we're doing what the work we can do. But I think it's, it, it hasn't reached where we're all feeling safe yet. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, like, I've actually received a couple like negative comments on TikTok because I've said that. Like, I'm not going to give up on black men because that means giving up on my dad, my brother, you know, my husband. Like, why would I give up on black men? Because 
even if like y'all say 60% of black men are trash or 75%, like there's still that 25%. So why would I give up on everybody, you know? And I've received like some, some negativity about that because a lot of women are just saying, well, I give up on black men, you know? You have to, you have, you can't give up complete hope. You know, we bring them into this world. We are the life source. We are the energy and whatever energy you put into your thought process about black men if you are to one day give birth to a black man, that still carries through, you know, your, your genetics, your DNA, your DNA, your thoughts. I feel where you're coming from. I don't think you can just be like, nope. And it's interesting that you bring that up because I said that, but I had a couple people say, cause there was a video that was sort of trending and it was a black woman that said, why would I, why would I risk my life giving birth to a black man who will disrespect black women? And there were girls, so many girls, thousands of comments agreeing. And I said, well, you know, even if you went and got a white dude, you're still going to give birth to a black child. And a couple of people were like, no, that child's going to be biracial. Girl, what? Right. But what race was I when I gave birth to this child? Like, I'm sorry. But is he not still a black man in the eyes of society? And people forget that. Like, yeah, you were still a black man. You may be, you may pass or you may look differently, but you are still a black man and you will still be treated as such. Yeah. Not be white. Yeah. And that will be the difference. That will be what makes the difference. And the one thing that you mentioned that I had not thought about because it's like a really a new thought process is that generational trauma that you pass on. So will you, if, if you happen to give birth to a black man, even if your spouse is not black, imagine how that trauma is going to be passed to your son automatically, subconsciously. I, a hundred, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's things, I, I know this sounds really weird, but I have dreams still to this day of being a slave. And I know that sounds really, really weird, but it's like, it's the same dream. It's the same setting. It's the same feeling. It's the same energy. And I know where I am and I know what's happening and it is always there. And I don't think that that's something that like, I'm just making up. I don't know why I would have this reoccurring dream about this particular thing, but I know coded within my DNA. My family is from the South in Georgia. Yeah. There's to this day, there's cotton fields across the street from where my grandfather used to live. So it's like, I know that that is a part of where we have come from as a people and my family as well, but it's like, it's there. And yeah. I, can't, I can't undo that. And I didn't put it in me, but it, it came with everything else that came before me and came for my mom and came for her mom, you know? Wow. And it's the same dream every time. Same dream. What's so weird? So you know how like you dream, like some people don't dream in color and some yeah. people don't dream in color. And I know this is going to sound really, really weird, but you know that sepia tone or sepia, I don't know which way. The, yes. The, that is the tone of that dream. It's very much like it feels, it's like, the, it's like the tone of that dream is to let me know that something is, is different. It's a different time, it's a different space. And I know that that could come from media and like how our brains have been taught to like, oh, if it's black and white, it was a long time ago, which doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. You put something in black and white today and, it could be Martin Luther King and be like, yeah, remember when Martin Luther King was at the uh, 2020 election show or whatever, you know, we would believe that. But I think it's not a tone thing. I think it's just, it's the energy that I feel about it. You know, it, it's feeling um, like a different space and a different time, something that we aren't necessarily in right now, you know, but has happened. Mm. So, mm. It's very, it's a random thing, but. That is amazing. Wow. Okay. 
So another thing, reason why I wanted to ask you about black men and feeling protected, because you have a few jokes about being sexually abused when you were young. And I wanted to ask you, I really wanted to actually know if that, what you went through as a, like a young girl has affected your view of black men. And I don't actually don't even know if it was a black man who did that to you, but it was. He's definitely a black man. I mean, he was a black man that some could say passed, I guess, obviously. It was, um, but I, I will say I don't think it did. I, and I, not that I don't think it did, it did not. Because I, like I said, I still have a, a black brother. Yeah. I have black cousins. I have black uncles. I have black people who are men who have been very strong fixtures in my life. And one thing that I've learned from dealing with different types of trauma over the course of my life is that, you know, there's a lot of pain within people that they allow to manifest in different ways. And just because that's what they did, you keep people at who they are. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to blanket statement people because it's how we get racism. It's how mm-hmm. we get all these like very traumatic experiences that other people have to go through because we've made a hard, fast decision about everyone based on one person's actions. Today, like I, I mean, I don't excuse the actions of the person who sexually abused me, but later he did disclose that he was sexually abused, mm-hmm. sexually abused because his father sexually abused him. None of those things are right, but there, there are reasons behind how people become who they become. And I could never demonize every black man based on the actions of a black man who has suffered his own trauma. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't excuse it but I understand that I take everybody as who they are. Until you show me that there's no reason for, there's a reason for me to not trust you, then you have my trust until you lose it. You know, you have my respect until you lose it. Yeah, and that's just kind of where I stand with, and I I used to feel uneasy about doing the jokes and the material at first because it's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about being molested or being, um, you know, going through sexual trauma or, I mean, I also talk about, I was in an abusive relationship. I talk a lot about the things that I've experienced, but what I gained from that was the peace of not being controlled by how those things affected me and feeling like, like I can say this out loud. When I finally told those jokes and that material in front of my mom, I felt like I had let it all go. Mm. And it had been years. It had been year, like she didn't find out till years later. And it had been years between when she found out and she heard my material. It had been years between when I even said it to her and I wrote the material. But yeah, it gave me was something that now I'm. I have no shame about it. I have no fear about it. And if anything, I have more power within myself to speak up because I feel like people need to know that it's okay that that happened to you and you can move forward. Mm. The amount of who come up to me and said, I can't believe you said that. And, and that happened to me, but it, it means something that I can see you talking about it and being okay. I never considered that that would be the case. And the people who are uncomfortable with it, it, it wasn't for them. And not, yes. not, every, not every bit is for everybody. That's why you have, uh, you have different things that you discuss. And it's my job here on this planet to share my experience so that somebody else can have a better experience. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. End up living, breathing, talking to my friends, going to work. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I I accept that challenge now in a way that I never did before I started speaking on those things. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow, that is so powerful. I literally almost cried like twice during uh, when you <laughs> when you talked about just having the strength, like, you know, talking to your mom and then also how you feel about black women, like the quote um, about, you know, when when you're birth, I'm birth, like I over identify and feel black women so much like it's ridiculous. Like I over identify with being a black, being a black woman. It's it's like a part of my existence. And it should be. I think that I think that for some reason we've gotten into a space where as black women, because of all the things that have been done to us, we we let people take little pieces of our power. And I think there's something so beautiful and so magical about who we are. And because we did create this world, we did we are the originators of this earth and all people, all people, whether people want to recognize that or not. And I think that we have to step into the power of who we really are and embrace it and be proud of it and say it and be very unapologetic because there's somebody who doesn't know that. The six-year-old me who felt like I was the only dark-skinned person in my neighborhood who moved to California from Atlanta who had no other Black people in her school who felt unattractive and didn't know I was beautiful and I was strong. She needed somebody to say that. She needed to walk around with their head held high and feel like this person is, is beautiful and she's strong and she's a dark-skinned woman and she doesn't fear what people are going to say because she's a dark-skinned woman. Like, it never occurred to me until I grew up and I was like, wait, I, I, I'm, I'm magic, you know? I walk in magic. I exist in a space that I've created and I amplify it every single time I walk in a room. I make that place better. It's greater because I was there and it will always be if I have a choice. And I do. So we need that. That's a great thing. I love that about you. And that's what people love about you too. That's why you move so fluid. That's why people are like drawn to you because you don't, you, I don't know if I can cuss, but you don't take anything. Yeah. You. you know what I mean? Like you say what you mean and you mean what you say and you live who you are. And that is powerful. That's what being a powerful black woman looks like. Mm. So there you go. Y'all. <laughs> I'm not going to cry on my podcast. I am. Not, I'm literally not going to cry on my podcast, but <laughs> that is a word. Okay. Um, listen, we were supposed to talk about COVID, but I don't even want to talk about Trump and COVID no more because that's bringing our bad energy into uh, our good conversation that we're having. Okay. Thank you so much, Mina. Like I learned something from you today. You really inspired me today. So I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm happy to. I mean, I, I love it because people give me that all the time. And it means something new when people feel that way about me. Because I, like, I watched uh, you, your episode with Jazz and I was like, man, like the things that you guys were discussing, I hadn't even thought about it. I was like, this is, I like to be like taken out of my element. Like, okay, yeah. Why, why is that that way? I like to think about things differently and be taught. I love being taught. I want to go to school. Okay, same. <laughs> same. And you know, like you, there are, you never know what people are going through. So I hope somebody listening to this says, wow, like I was sexually abused or my sister was and I want her to listen to this or my mother was and I want her to listen to, you know what I mean? Like somebody who's going through the same experience that you are going through because it's very common. People don't realize it's very common and people are looking for the strength. And for you to be able to get on stage and talk about your experience as a woman being in an abusive relationship, I know you have jokes about that, but also being sexually abused when you were younger, it is powerful for people. And I think that we, like, as comedians especially, and you know this because you get on stage and do the same thing, I think it's our job to just tell the truth. Yes. The comedy that we experience is the truth. And a lot of truth comes from very painful experiences in dark places. And the comics who have 
affected me the most were the ones who were able to put all of that pain into what they're doing and still make people you can be happy i'm not saying like oh i got to tell all my jokes got to be you know sad but yeah they should be true they should be real they should be stuff that people can feel connected to that's why it's a mind control situation that's why we're sharing an experience because your sister went through it i went through it uh my mom went or whatever it is like you know somebody that's yeah. why it's funny you know that's why it's it it, it, it touches you and that matters you know, those are the comics that I like. I like people who make me feel something. It doesn't always have to be a laugh. It's something that I left with that I didn't know I went there to get. And I'm happy that I got it now. I like that. I need it. Oh, I agree 100%. It's not always a laugh. It's not always a laugh that, that, it, that makes comedy so powerful. People, that is a lesson, okay? That might be the title of this episode. Hey, I'm here for that too. Because I feel you. That's true. Oh, my goodness, y'all. Okay, well, we're coming to the end of the episode. I know we could talk to Mina all day, um, but we have to step into their Keep It Real corner to give some advice. Um, If you are looking for advice, you can DM me on Instagram, TikTok, or email me. Um, But I had somebody DM me this week. Um, It was two, it was actually two young white girls, her and her friend, okay? Um, and I wanted to say that she was white because I always say whether they white or black number. Well, I don't always say it, but, you know, I wanted to call it out on this particular episode because I thought it was just so touching that they reached out to me because they wanted my advice. <laughs> so they said, my history teacher is racist. He thinks that black Lives Matter is a Marxist movement. I've written essays and turned it in, but he won't change his views. I'm a strong advocate for Black Lives Matter and it makes me uncomfortable. What can I do to get him to stop? And this is, for people who think I be making up my Keep It Real Corners, I do not. This is a real question. I actually already gave her and her friend advice, but I thought, you know, to hear from Mina would be really good too. So what what would be your advice, Mina? Well, what can you do to change, what can they do to change his opinion on it? That was their question. Okay, so here's, here's what I have to say about that. Changing people's opinion is, is, uh, is almost like a very, it's a foolhardy mission to take on. Because you, you can't really shape somebody's perspective that they've lived. The only thing that we ever really do in life is we experience something and then we make a belief system about it. And we keep doing that over and over and over again. So I would say, unfortunately, you are not going to say, write, do something specific that is going to change his experience because he is who he is. That is an unfortunate trait that he has, but that is who he is. But in general, being two young white women who have the power, the status in many situations to speak and live in your truth. If that is what you believe, that is what you advocate for, that is what you live. You do that. You be that. I think people forget, just be what you desire to see in the world and you'll get more of it around you. You will attract more of it. And sometimes it's just you living in who you are and living in what you are that makes other people shift. But if you set out to change someone, you will most assuredly be disappointed because people don't move like that. People only change and have only ever changed based on their need and what serves their needs. 
So I say it's it's sad and it's unfortunate. I wish that she could just snap and be like, and this essay essay tells you why, but it won't ever be that simple. If it was that simple, we wouldn't be in 2020 and still unfortunately dealing with the things that our great, great, great grandparents dealt with and damn near on the same levels. You know what I mean? So yeah. she just has to, she has to, if she means that, then live it. Yeah. Then that. Keep making sure you correct people if they do something wrong and whether they do whatever after the fact, that's on them. But when you're in that moment, you have the power, you have the floor, you have the opportunity to speak, you speak and you change what's happening in that moment. And that's how you change things. But you can't do it from the calculations of this and that. It won't work. That's such good advice. Very similar, almost exact to what I said. You know, I said, keep in mind, you're what, a teenager probably. Your teacher's 30 something. What What is the likelihood that their views are gonna change? They probably grew up thinking exactly what he's thinking right now. So, and it's, it, it, it is such a, it's such a, 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 a mission to take on somebody else's opinion. You can't. It's hard, I mean, and, and people like, they nurture their opinion. So. Whenever they came to that realization, they keep believing it. It's kind of like how we were talking about the stud thing. Like, it is a state of mind. So whatever yeah. you decided about yourself, you're going to put more into you that reflects your belief system. And that's what he's been doing for so long. Every student of that class could write that essay the same way and say that this is what it should be. But he is who he is. He, he has to be the reason he changes. You got to remember, like, he's a teacher. He's older. You're, you're up next, though. You're up next, okay? And I'm sorry I didn't, you know, I wouldn't even say your name on here, but you are up next. You are the next generation. So the fact that, you know, I had two young white girls reach out to me, say, I love your content and I I want your help with this is dope. And they listen to the podcast and I think it's amazing. I think you're on the right track for standing standing up for the things that you believe in, not just Black Lives Matter, but whatever you believe in to be passionate about. I think that that's dope, you know? But don't try to change other people. Just keep doing you, because you will, without knowing, impact the people around you. Absolutely, that's when you're the most effective, usually. You're just living who you are, and people see it, they're like, what's that about? Yeah. That's That's how it happens. Yes. All right, y'all. Well, listen, I hope that helps. Mina, oh my God, I loved having you on the podcast so much. This is one of my favorite episodes. Um. Great. I, I, I learned a lot too. Just And sometimes you got to listen to yourself and you got to actually ask yourself certain questions so you know where you stand and, and how you feel. And you got to, you know, you got to be your own advocate. You got to yeah. be here. If you don't have a mirror, then you, you just be like, look, I said, <laughs> Put that, put it back into your body somehow. You just got to get in there. Yes, yes. Well, what do you have coming up? How can people keep up with you? And one thing about Mina online too, she puts out so much content. So support her. Um, but yeah, what do you have coming up? Oh my gosh. Okay, what is going on right now? Uh, I I am doing well. I'm still doing like all of my online content. I'm kind of doing a series right now that's called. Um, Best case scenarios with Nina Q, which is just me explaining if I were in it, what I would do, okay. how the best case scenario for what would have happened. Um, it, I don't know. So that's been fun. So that'll be on my YouTube. Um, I actually just did a really dope uh, web series with Jasmine, uh, and that's called Car Therapy, and that'll be out. I'm not really sure exactly, but it's coming out shortly, and I got to act in it with my best friend. So that was super fun. Um, and just, I mean, stand up wise, I'm, you know, I got a couple shows here and there in November, but just stay tuned on my page and just see 
got going on. I always post everything on my story on my page somewhere. So Yes. So make sure you follow her on Instagram. If you're watching the show on YouTube, the link to her YouTube channel will be below. And of course, you'll see her Instagram and her YouTube on the screen. So make sure you check out the show on YouTube if you have a chance to watch. Y'all listen, this has been such a good episode. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on the platform you're listening on right now. And if you love the show, don't be selfish. Tell someone about it. Share it, honey. Okay. You can follow us on Instagram at Colored Couch Conversations and watch Watch the show on YouTube on Comedian Jasmine W on YouTube, spelled J-A-Z-M-Y-N. Thanks to my dad. Thanks to Mina for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. <laughs> me too. Bye, y'all.